just going to start right out um, <clears throat> in Mark chapter 5 today. We're going to be reading a couple, a couple um, stories from the Bible, and then we'll just kind of, we'll, we'll get where we get. How's that? So we're going to start in Mark chapter 5, verse 22, and it says, And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet. It's talking about Jesus. And he begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed, and she will live. You know, your little daughter's at the point of death, and you just don't really care what anybody thinks about you, do you? <laughs> it's like, I'll, I'll flop myself down. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever I have, but I am going to get to somebody who can help me, who can help my child. And there was only one on the earth <laughs> at that time who could heal his daughter. And he was coming to Jesus, and he said exactly what he was believing. He's saying, this is what I am believing is going to happen. Those were his words. Come, lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she'll live. That's what his expectation was. This is what you're going to do. You're coming. You're laying hands on her. Will you do that for me? And so Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed and thronged him. And now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. Don't you hate interruptions? I mean... Serious business here, someone lying at the point of death and somebody interrupts you? You've already been sick for who knows how long? They interrupt you? He didn't say a word. I'm sure he thought a few things. So, <clears throat> she had suffered many things from many physicians. She'd spent all that she had. But she wasn't better. She was worse. And when she heard about Jesus... Let me just tell you something that you don't have to hear a lot about Jesus to believe. You know, sometimes there's been kind of a misconception that it takes thousands of repetitions or something in order for you to believe. But this woman just heard about Jesus and that was sufficient. <laughs> That's all she needed. She didn't have a lot. She didn't have any of the New Testament. She didn't have anything like that. She just heard, there is a man. He is good. He heals people. I've spent everything that I have. I'm not better. I'm worse. I'm finding the man. <laughs> and this is what it says happened. It says, when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and she touched his garment. For she had said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be well. She just like Jairus. She said she was saying something on the inside of her. <laughs> she had been saying something to herself. If I can just touch his clothes. Maybe she was shy. <laughs> Lots of different circumstances could have been there. If I can just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. That's what she expected to happen. And it says immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? 
But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you when you say you touch me. And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came. And she fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. And so while he was still speaking, he's still speaking these words to this woman. While he's still talking to her, he hears something. How many of you all ever hear another conversation when you're in one? <laughs> he heard something. This is what he heard. There came some from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? So the, the friends came and said, you know, she was almost dead, but now she's completely dead. I'm sorry, but it makes that, that movie, you know, The Princess Bride, come to mind. <laughs> almost dead, not quite dead, but <laughs> she was really dead now. He says she was almost dead before, but now it really happened. She's gone. Don't bother him. What are they saying? There is no more hope. Can I just stop and say something to you? Please don't be a bearer of no hope. Don't be that person who comes to people and takes away any hope that they have. Be a sharer of hope. You know, as long as God is still God and God will always be God, are we all agreed on that? There is always hope. There's always hope as long as God is still God. Don't be a destroyer of hope. But they did. But Jesus, he's listening out of his ear. He hears what's going on. And it says, as soon as he heard that word that was spoken. Now, Jairus already spoke a word. And what's the word that Jairus spoke? He spoke, if you come and you lay your hand on her, she'll be healed and she'll live. That's what he had spoken. That's what they were going for. And when he heard this other word that was spoken that said, there's no more hope, she is dead, Jesus spoke up and he said two simple things. Do not be afraid, number one. You know, fear can just grip you. Fear can make you bottom out on your hope just like that. Oh, I had, I had, I had it, and it's all gone. There was fear, it just came and just grabbed it right from you, took it out of your hands. And that's the very first thing Jesus said is, do not be afraid. Well, you know what? If your daughter has just been pronounced dead and Jesus says, don't be afraid, it can only mean one thing, that he intends something to do, to do something about it. But you've got to hang on to that. So that's command number one. Do not be afraid. And then one more thing. And this is such an important thing. And this is the thing that we're going to talk about today. Only believe. Don't do anything else. Only believe. You know, it is very, very easy in a situation to be speaking some things out of your mouth and something entirely different going on in your head. You can be speaking out of your mouth, yes, I'm standing for this. I'm believing for this. This is what I believe is going to happen in your mind. You have all sorts of crazy things going on. 
You know, when he heard those words, Jairus could have gone right away to just thinking about funerals. He could have started thinking about, I'll never, I'll never know what she was like as a grown woman. I'll never know what she would have been like as a mother. I'll never be able to see my grandchildren from this daughter. He could have just let go of all of that and just his mind going all sorts of crazy places. But Jesus gave him one instruction. He just said, just do this and only this. Only believe. Just do that one thing and don't do anything else. It sounds kind of easy, correct? (laughs) It's not always quite as easy as that. In the moment, it takes focus. It takes concentration. It takes commitment to only believe. This summer, we went on a trip. We were on a boat. We were in the water. I'm not a boat person. We don't do boats. I don't mind boats, but I don't know a whole lot about them. But we were in Africa. We were on a, a huge lake. And the way that they do it, it's very, very long, and it's very, very wide, but it's not as wide as it is long. So the way they do it, we were going from one end to the other end. So the way they do it is they go out beyond where the waves are super, super choppy, and then they cut up this way. So, buddy, we started going out, and there were these massive, massive waves. I mean, this boat is just going up and slamming in these just massive dips between waves. If there was somebody who knew about boating, they'd probably be able to say this a little bit better than I am. Anyway, every time it would smash, it felt like this boat was coming apart. (laughs) There was a little bit of water coming in certain window seams and stuff, but relatively harmless. (laughs) But uh, the waves got rougher and rougher and rougher. We're in these seats that are just bolted. We're in Africa. They're just bolted to the floor. There's no seat belts. There's no harnesses. There's no. There's some um, life vests up above, but I was not interested in that. There were people grabbing the vests and putting them on, but I didn't want to be out in that water in anything at all. <laughs> and you know, as this storm is going on, we'd never been through anything like that before. All I could remember was the story of Jesus and his disciples. And I, could only, I don't, have, don't have that story really memorized, but I remembered a couple things. One is he said, don't be afraid. And two, he said, we're going to the other side. <laughs> and I remember they got in trouble for doubting that, even in the midst of the storm. And so as we're going through this huge storm, and I mean the boat is going every which way, Things are flying. We were served snacks at one point, but the snacks ended up who knows where. And um, there's a ton of kids on this boat. (laughs) And so some of them were in our charge because the lady was traveling with us. And so all of our kids had a kid. And there was another lady who was seasick. And so I had her kid because it was a little bitty one. And she was just, I don't know if she was passed out or what, but she looked passed out. So I took her kid and we're trying to stay in our seat. And the only thing that I could think to do is I'm just saying to myself again and again, this is all, it's just melody. We're staying, we're keeping our eyes on Jesus. That's all we're doing. We're going to the other side. I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to be afraid. Jesus is in the boat because I'm in the boat. If he's in me and I'm in him and we're together in the boat, then the boat can't go down. The boat's going to go to the other side. That's what we're doing. We're going to the other side, to the other side. That is what we are doing. We are not doing anything else except going to the upside. We're not going down. We are going straight. We are going over this wave, over that wave. We're going to the next wave, but we are going to the other side. That's what we are doing. We're not doing anything else. 
Mike's beside me praying in tongues. Blah, 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 blah. I never heard him pray in tongues so fast in my life. <laughs> Our kids, it's every man for himself, you know. <clears throat> They're all big. Everybody's tending to themselves. And, you know, uh, it, w- it was a focused effort to only believe. And then we went over one really huge wave. You know, you get ready for the kaboom. And right when the kaboom came, another wave came this way that the, the captain wasn't expecting. And so the boat was right here. It wasn't quite there. It was right there. Jared was on one side, and he said all he saw was water out his window. There was just water. And the captain got thrown off the wheel, and he's got himself back. He's barely got over there and he, he couldn't get his whole body back over there, but he's got his legs and he's turning as much as he could trying to get that thing to turn back over again. It's like to the other side. We're going to the other side. We are not going down. We're not going that way. We're not going that way. We're going this way. This is the way that we are going to the other side. Jesus and me. I mean, Jesus, you have to stay focused. It is an effort to only believe. You have to put some muscle into it. Because if you just sit back and say, okay, I'm just going to believe God. And then you let your mind set empty. <laughs> All sorts of contingency plans will come into your mind about what you're going to do if somehow God does not get this boat to the other side. <laughs> if somehow he was on a break. If somehow, and then if you get really religious, you'll start on this side. Maybe he has a lesson to teach me in the water as I hang on to a piece of wood. He has something to teach me in this moment. You know, Paul went through the water. He was out there a day and a night. You know, if it's good enough for Paul, maybe it's good enough for me. And come up with all these ideas that will make you not only believe. You know, it's really very simple. God is not complex. He does complex things, but he himself is not complex. And he has designed his kingdom for people who are not always super good at complex things. He, he invented salvation to be such that you don't even have to be super smart. Did some of y'all figure that out? Did you ever figure out how Jesus made it so simple? All you have to do is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. You don't even have to make it past first grade. You don't even have to make it past kindergarten. You don't even have to get out of preschool to be able to master that. He made it so easy that nobody would be excluded. Believing God is no different. (laughs) It is not difficult, but you do have to focus on only believing. So let's continue with our story. So Jesus was really smart in verse 37. He permitted no one to follow him except for Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. You remember the people who came running with the news, your daughter's dead, don't bother the teacher anymore? It's like, okay, we're going to Jairus' house. Here we go. No. No, not, no, no. You three, uh uh-uh. No, you're not coming. You can come another day. You can go another way. But not with us. You're not coming. Because 
It was important that Jairus only believe. And if you have people tagging behind you, say, no, I, I, I saw her. There was no breath. Her chest wasn't going up and down. I checked her pulse, my very own self. There was no pulse there. I mean, I looked at her. She was white. There was no color. No. If we're going to only believe, we can't be around you. And I'm going to tell you that if you're going to only believe, sometimes you've got to separate yourself from, from some people and some things. It's not being unkind. It feels very unmannerly. But if you're going to get to the other side, you can't have people around you telling you that God is not going to come through for you. And so they went about their journey. He came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and he saw tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. And when he came in, he said to them, Why are you making all this commotion and weeping? The child is not dead but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all out, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him, and he entered where the child was lying. Again, Jesus got rid of everyone who was going to be coming between them and only believing. Believing is all we're doing here. We are only believing. <laughs> we're not figuring out what's going to happen if this doesn't work out. We're not coming up with a plan for if it doesn't happen, we're not going to have someone over here in the corner working on it in case it doesn't happen. There's only one thing that we're doing here, and the one thing that we're doing is we're only believing. And so if we're believing, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do what did Jairus say? You're going to come. You're going to put your hand on her. She's going to be healed. She will be well. That's the only thing they were believing for. And so... He took the child by the hand. He touched her. Remember Jairus said, I want you to touch her. And he said to her, some Greek words, which translated our little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. There's a story in the Old Testament of a time when judgment came on the children of Israel. <clears throat> Horrible judgment. Um, snakes came out of the desert and began attacking them, very poisonous snakes. And so they immediately realized that they had better <laughs> make things right with God, which they did. They ran to God, God help us, God help us, God help us, there's snakes. And the Lord said, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to make, get a pole. I want you to make a, a bronze serpent, put it on the pole, way, way, way up high. And so this is what you're going to do. Um, looking back, this serpent on the pole represented the sin that was taken care of in Jesus on the cross. But he said, you look, when you're bitten by the snakes, you don't look at the snakes. You look at that serpent on the stick. And if you do that, you'll be whole. Now, how many of you know that it is not necessarily easy to look at a serpent on a pole when you feel a serpent biting your ankles. What do you want to do? What's the automatic reaction? <laughs> it's like, ah! <laughs> I gotta get rid of the serpent. No? Forget about the serpent down there. He ain't no. <laughs> look at that on the pole. Look at your answer. Look to Jesus. Only believe. It takes some effort, but it's not difficult. 
It takes effort because it's against everything that we've been taught to believe. But we have to only believe. And so uh, let's look over at Hebrews uh, 10, 23 right quick. We'll go a little, <clears throat> little different path here. Let's see. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. You know, when you look at the, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. That sounds kind of odd to us, but it actually, I was looking at it, it's, it's, it's the right word to use here. But this is what the Bible defines as hope. It's anticipating something with pleasure. <laughs> You're looking ahead. You're looking forward to this. And confidence and expectation. So according to the Bible, hope is a confident expectation. It's not saying, oh, I just hope it'll be this way. It is a confident expectation. So you could say, hold fast to the confession of your confident expectation. Keep saying what you're saying. (laughs) Don't stop saying (laughs) what you're saying. When you see circumstances, you know, when you're looking at the serpent on the pole and you feel one on your heel, don't look and say, ah, I'm going to die. No, we're not, we're, not, we're not trying to die. We're trying to live. Look at the serpent on the, on the pole and say, I'm going to live and not die. Hold fast to the confession of your hope without wavering. That word to waver means to lean. What happens if you lean too far? For Melody, it doesn't take a whole lot of effort. I don't do yoga or anything remotely like that. So if I lean very far, I'll just be flat on the floor, so we're not going to do a live demonstration here. But if you lean, you're going to end up falling. So don't lean. Don't start tilting in this direction. If I stand upright, I'm going to stay standing. But if I start leaning this direction, I can fall over. If I start leaning this direction, I can fall over. Just stand Strong, hold fast to the confession of your hope because he who promised is faithful. Let's look over at um, James chapter 1. Just a little, if you've got your Bibles, I'm I'm not even going to ask if anyone has their Bibles. Dwayne's got his Bible. Good for you, Dwayne. James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, it says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, and in the place of wisdom, we can really substitute anything that you could lack. You know, you could lack to know how to do the math on your next math test. (laughs) You could have a problem you can't figure out. You could lack finances to buy your groceries this week. You could lack understanding of how in the world to communicate with your spouse. Lord, how am I going to do this thing? You could lack anything, but the thing that they put in here is wisdom. So if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, <coughs> to get, who gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not. You know, he doesn't get on to you when you ask him for things. He gives liberally. My mom, she was, we, we tease her all the time. We were growing up, my mom's very precise about all things in life. And she was also very precise about cooking. There were four of us, and if mom cooked, there were four portions of everything. 
Now, mashed potatoes might be a little bit here or there, you know, because they're hard to predict. But if, if there were four people, there would be four whatevers. And we had lots of unexpected guests, and guests, and uh, we can't even tell you how many times mom would say, Now, girls, just act like you're not very hungry, and we'll find something else later, okay? And so just let them have your burger or your whatever. Vicky's nodding back there. She's been through it all, too. Just, just say you're not hungry. All right, we'll fix it all later. But um, he gives liberally, okay? He's not really into portion control. God doesn't have to be. And he doesn't abrade you. He doesn't say, shame on you for asking for that, you selfish thing, you. No, he's not like that. He's not put out about it. But he says, um, let him ask in faith. Nothing wavering. What did we say to waver means again? To lean. Or to go, I'm going to go this way, and I'm going to go that way. I'm going to go this way. Oh, but what about this, and what about that? And, oh, I'm believing God. But what about if it doesn't, okay, what am I, I could, you know, we could live with my parents or maybe in a tent. And, you know, a lot of other people enjoy living. I'm believing God. You know, but, you know, we could be. That's not only believing. That's called wavering. And it says, he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Always the visual picture I get of this is a water bottle or a soda can out on the ocean. Does that can or bottle have any opportunity to choose where it's going to end up? It is at the will of the wind, the waves, the whatever, the crocodile that comes up under it and bumps it that direction, or the hippo who swallows it, chews it up, spits it out, and then it's on its way. You know, it just keep. It's just wherever. It's just at the mercy of the world where it ends up. It has no choice in the matter. Did you know that God did not design you for that? That is not the life He intended for you and I to be just at the mercy of whatever. So he that it wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Let not that man think that he'll receive anything of the Lord. It's not because the Lord doesn't want you. Remember it said that the Lord gives liberally and he doesn't abrade you. It's not him who doesn't want to give it to you. But a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. If you don't only believe and if you waver and you don't course correct. You know, one time many years ago when we were believing God for children, the Lord told me this one day, you know, you wake up and you just feel sad, depressed, and defeated. (laughs) And you start on your, oh, woe is me. This is so sad. You know, I got an invitation to a baby shower for my cousin, and she's only she's only been married, you know, for a year, and she already has a baby. Oh, you know, you can get really caught up in stuff like that, and then the next day you wake up, you feel a bit more positive. I'm believing God up. And so the Lord just gave me this helpful hint one day. He said, you know, Melody, if you can't build this thing today, at least don't tear it down. And you know what? It's a nicer way of just saying, keep your mouth shut. You know, if you, if you can't say something, if you can't keep proclaiming the confession of your hope, 
Just be quiet. Don't destroy it. Don't be something that destroys hope. Just hush it up. Do your best to speak the word, but at least don't destroy what you have built. Don't do that. Don't be a double-minded man, unstable in all of your ways. <clears throat> so let's look. We're going to we're going to end with this, and then a little. Yeah, yeah, I'm doing so good. I wish my husband was here to witness it. Everybody's always giving him these reports about me going too long. Mm-hmm. You know who you are. So Romans fifteen thirteen. We're going to read this out of the NIV. Because that's how I memorized it, and that's how I like it, and that's the way that is. So it says this. It says, may the God of hope. See, this is another definition of God. It's called the God of hope. Wherever God is, if you're listening to him, there's going to be hope there. You could find yourself in the most hopeless situation. You may have done the most stupid thing that you feel like you ought to pay for. But he is still a God of hope in the middle of that situation. You may have done something. Maybe you went out and, and you thought, there's not a cop from here to who knows where. I'm going to see how fast this thing will go. <laughs> and lo and behold, you were wrong about the first part. <laughs> and lo and behold, you figured out the second part and so did he. <laughs> We all do stupid things, but and it is stupid just if you want to know that. But um, in the midst of that, he is still a God of hope. God is never sitting on the sidelines and said, well, you did it now. <laughs> you may have to walk through some things, but he's always a God of hope. So it says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Do you know that it is your right as a child of God to live in joy and peace as you trust in him? Do you realize that when things are not going right, that you don't have to feel badly on the inside? Everything can be all messed up and on the inside that it's your right as a child of God to still be filled with peace Enjoy as you trust in him. I should not have been seeing how fast my car could go. I could have read the manual and found that out. <laughs> People have done this in different conditions. But Lord, I thank you that you are helping me to get out of this thing. You're going to help. You are with me. You have not abandoned me. And in the midst of your own mistakes, the hope, the God of hope can fill you with all joy and peace if you'll just still keep your trust in him. And then this is the best part. So that you can overflow with hope yeah. by the power of the Holy Spirit. So often we look at believing God as something that we do when we have a problem. And we should do that when we have a problem. But believing God should be something that as believers that we are characterized by wherever we go. How many of you have had that friend that you just love to be around because no matter how rotten things are, are if you're with them by the time that you're done, you just feel better? And then there are other friends 
If you're having a rough day and you see their number, it's like, oh, no, God, I can't do this today. I cannot do this today. Lord, if they need help, send them somebody else. But I cannot do this today with them. Uh Uh-uh. They'll, they'll cry with me, but they will not help me. But God wants us to be characterized by over... Christy loves me, and she's just saying so. So I love you too, Christy. He wants us to be characterized by overflowing with hope in every situation that we're in. Do you know one time I had a dog? I still have a dog, but it's not the same dog. This is a long time ago. But I was young and single, and I could not have been raised in boarding school. I'd never been alone in my life. And I just could not imagine being in an apartment. When I was in college, I got a goldfish. But he wasn't much company. He was a lot of trouble. But he was alive. And at least there was something else alive in my room with me. But when I moved into my first apartment, it's like, I cannot be the only living thing in an apartment. So I did the very logical thing and got myself a dog. And one day, I heard a rap at the door. It was my neighbor. I was working night shift. He said, Melody, we need to talk. He said, from the time that you leave your apartment until you come back, she barks. And I did not obey the word of God. I completely fell into despair. I burst into tears because I just, I mean, I just saw myself having to get rid of my my living thing in my house that I loved. But this friend was a believer, and he saw my tears, and he was moved by those tears. And he said, Melody, you know what let's do? Let's just agree together that she won't bark. Okay, let's do that. And so he prayed, and I agreed. And do you know she did not bark again? In this life, we need to be overflowing with hope. And not the only thing to bring to the situation is, I'm sorry, Melody, you're just going to have to get rid of her. We need to be characterized by overflowing with hope in all the situations that we're in. You know, maybe in the, in the place that you work, maybe people don't work very hard. <laughs> maybe you feel like you're the only one working, but everyone gets paid at the end of the month. <laughs> don't be that person who's just... Always talking about how lazy everybody is. How about it? Nobody has a good work ethic. Anybody can see that. But it takes a person of faith, a person filled with hope, to say, you know what? I think that this could change. I think that we could turn this into the most productive department ever. I have no idea how. But I know God. And I'm going to become hopeful in this situation. I'm going to start speaking good things over people. I'm going to start seeing what I can do. Maybe we can train some people. I'm going to start speaking words of encouragement. Be someone who spreads hope wherever you go. In our city, um, we have seen some things that would be hope destroyers, would you say? And yet God has placed all of us in the city for such a time as this. And God wants us, with the God of hope on the inside of us, to come into the city and say, you know what? I believe that this city is going to be like a, a, a case study that people will study. 
people will look and say, what happened to Pueblo? <laughs> what happened? We know what it was, and I, I, from what some of y'all tell you who've lived here longer than I have, it's better than it was, right? <laughs> it's come a long ways from the days when it had not nice names. But God wants to take it further. He wants to do things in this city. He wants to do things in the people in this city, and he needs us to be people who carry hope. There's this, I want to I wanna look at this. Did you get all those things about that city put in? Perfect. There is this, I just remembered this the other day. It was on a video that Pastor showed years ago. It was about this city in Guatemala, so I had to look it up and refresh myself on it. But there's this, um, however you say that, Almalonga. Is that good enough for you guys? Almalonga, Guatemala. Anybody heard of this town? Okay. So it's a town that was, it, it was evangelized in the mid-70s. And the people who God first just began speaking to, and he, first of all, got him born again and started speaking to them to, to bring change to their city. I mean, they attacked it with a vengeance. They decided, we are taking our city. And uh, to, to this day, let's put, they, they say that the local people refer to it as before and after Christ came to their town. And so this is what they say of themselves that their town was characterized before um, the gospel came to them. It was characterized by an alcohol-induced lethargy. They, they worshipped lots of idols, that alcohol was a part of that. They were very idolatrous. They had four jails and could not still adequately house all their prisoners. They had 34 bars. They had, I don't remember the population, it's not very high. The drunkenness was rampant and farmers farmed just enough to support their vision, their drinking, and they had no vision beyond that. That's all. They'd work just enough to get enough to drink. they go drink, and that was, that was their life. That's all they saw for their lives. Their homes were disorderly. Women were viewed as servants. Wife abuse was common. Women were not educated. And then this is the after and they're not satisfied. They only have 90% of their town converted. And they're going after the other 10. <laughs> they want it all. <laughs> not only do they want it all, they've also looked and they've become concerned because they've seen other places where, where the gospel came to an area and then it was lost in the next generation. And so they've already put into place how they're going to keep that from happening. <laughs> They're planning, we're getting all 100%, and this is going to be a town that's committed to the Lord. The last jail closed in 1989. It's now a reception hall for weddings, things like that. There's no more need for their jails. Most of the bars were renovated into the stores. They have very godly names, uh, but I didn't want to put all that up there. There's only three bars that remain. Drunkenness and crime is just viewed as an absolute waste of time. They can't be bothered with it anymore. Christian men treat their wives with respect, resolve differences peaceably. Women are now educated. Uh, there's very little abuse in families. Parents are taking better of their children. The youth are known for being industrious and hardworking. They're buying trucks for themselves, getting involved. They're making money even as youth. The city has a great work ethic with young and old working together. And this great work ethic has produced economic renewal. There's no unemployment or beggars. People are producing multiple harvests each year with their vegetables being considerably larger than those in surrounding villages and they export their vegetables to other nations. And many farmers are now hiring others to work the farms and they are businessmen operating multiple businesses. 
some of the <clears throat> some of it was in there. It was just so many interesting things that the people, even the community, said even this ten percent that remain, said even though they're not born again. They will tell you that the gospel has entirely changed their towns. There were people who came to help them to try to get their, you know, teach them how to farm better, get better crops, that sort of thing. So they tested the wisdom of God that he was giving their farmers against what they brought in. And the wisdom of God brought them bigger, better vegetables. (laughs) And so I'm telling you, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ can change anything. There is nothing too too difficult. And each one of us needs to come to every situation we have, bringing belief to the situation, bringing that God of hope to the situation. You know, your kids are playing a sport. Bring the God of hope into that situation. Your neighbors are getting together to work on the project. Bring the God of hope in that situation. We can do it bigger. We can do it better. We can do it with peace. We can do it with unity. Whatever situation that you find yourself in, let that be what you're characterized by, that I bring hope to this situation. In fact, I am known for overflowing with hope. Wouldn't you love to be that person? It's like, you know, Dwayne, how how would you describe Dwayne? You know, he's just overflowing with hope. Wouldn't you love that to be how people would describe you? She's just overflowing with hope. Wherever she goes, she just always has, she always got a good idea for whatever you're working on. She comes up, you know, she'll just walk in and you'll say, oh, we're trying to solve this problem. She'll say one thing. It's like, oh, wow. Bringing hope to every situation.